Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. The quarterfinals are underway. Welcome to TC Live at the U.S. Open, presented by Evian. The city of New York is composed of five different boroughs, and it is fitting that tennis royalty come to Queens. This year, there are guaranteed to be new rulers of this event. So who will take the throne in the castle that is Arthur Ashe Stadium? We're getting closer to handing out a couple crowns at the U.S. Open. A lot to get to over the next two hours. A five-set thriller capping the night session on Ash. Hatchinoff moving on, but Nick did not go quietly. It's the end of the road for Coco Golf, ousted in straights by Caroline Garcia. Our experts put Coco's season into perspective. The top players in the world share their thoughts on the legacy of Serena Williams as she moves on to the next chapter. And our own Jimmy Arias joins us from New York to help previews today's men's quarterfinals and to explain his recent golfing adventure. You don't want to miss that. Our featured matches, a couple of Americans on Arthur Ashe today. Francis Tiafo trying to become the first American man since Andy Roddick to reach the final four, while Jesse Pagula takes on the world number one, plus a next-gen battle between Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. Come on in. TC Live with you the next two hours leading up to first ball. Steve Weissman, Paul Anacone, John Wertheim, and over on the big screen, we've got Chanda Rubin. Coco Goff is guaranteed to make her top ten debut, but she will not make the final four at the U.S. Open. Chanda, you called this match last night. What stood out to you? Uh, you know, Coco Goff has been so good competing and battling, staying in points and games. But she wasn't able to do that in the same way against Caroline Garcia. From the start, Goff was rushed and kind of behind consistently. And when she did have a few opportunities, shots like this one, big miss just off from the start. And Garcia didn't make life any easier. I was impressed with the way Goff found a way to get into that first set. Thought that might give her a little something uh, to go from, but Garcia just didn't give Goff a lot of space to work with. But again, returns like that from Garcia where Goff was rushed and just trying to pop the ball back. This happened consistently over the match. And in the end, a little bit of the, the disappointment you could see the last couple of misses from Goff. Terrific win for Caroline Garcia, but clear disappointment for Coco Goff. First time fly with Caro has taken out Coco. Let's hear from the American. Today her level was great and I knew it was going to be great coming in and I feel like I didn't play at the level that I needed to to come out with the win today but overall I'm super proud of myself on this tournament um, but I'm hungry for more so maybe next year. Spin it positive, like to hear that. Uh, first major final in Paris for Coco Golf as we take a look at her New Balance player resume. Of course, first quarterfinal at the U.S. Open as well. Paul, how would you characterize her performance at the Grand Slams this year? I think terrific. You know, first final at Roland Garros and playing well here. Lost a tough match last night. But look, you know, we keep saying be patient um, at 18 years of age. So much great stuff. 
ahead for her, and, and, and she's still developing. I mean, to think that she's this good, she's going to be eight in the world, and her ceiling is so high, and there's still some room for improvement with her tennis. And her head already at 18 years, of age, in, in 18 years of age, in my opinion, is one of the best in the business. You listen to how gracious she was after the match, her comprehension and the objectivity, the ability to flush emotion out of what just happened at 18 years of age and look at the big picture. That is a huge talent in and of itself. And uh, to throw a little cliche, we are just at the tip of the iceberg of her greatness. I think she gets it, which I think is really helpful, that she knows, you know, things are progressing nicely. This was a bit of a sting. This was, you know, a winnable tournament probably. At the same time, realistically, March 14th, she's turned 19. This is a young player. She's getting started. There's still some technical parts of her game she can improve on. I thought her analysis was great. You know, a little bit of a disappointment, but overall good tournament. And I think her head, her perspective, her just overall sort of mode of being, I think that's as much a source of optimism as, as forehands and backhands. I think for with Coco Golf, there's just so much upside. And you look at it, the improvements she's made this year, obviously getting to the final Roland Garros, her first major final, that was a, another learning experience against Fiontech. And I think during this event, there were some positive things that you can take from her game, the way she battled, the way she embraced the crowd in the moment and stayed in the fight in some difficult matches. This match, I think she just got shocked early on and it was difficult for her to recover and figure out what to do what to change, you know, to really get her teeth fully into this match. But it was a competitive match in spite of the fact she didn't play her best tennis. Again, you learn, you put all these things into the computer and you learn, you figure out how to play against different styles. She is fourth in the race right now in singles, third in the race in doubles. So she's going to be busy in Fort Worth, Texas at the WTA finals. And she's still the youngest player in the top 100, making her top 10 debut, 18-year-old Coco Golf. Well, you'll never know what you're going to see in New York City. And we saw this in the middle of a match last night. Uh, this is a, a YouTube influencer getting his hair cut. Those are expensive seats around there, John. An expensive cutting cape, too. <laughs> Louis Vuitton. On a cutting cape. Is, is that J.J. Wolf? <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Um, yeah, I guess if, if that gets you clicks, I, I've seen that. You know, we, we've seen some. Remember we saw a mid-match haircut once? We saw a ponytail sniff that was getting in a, a player's way. I've never seen a fan getting a haircut yeah, like full, that. Yeah, the full-on the full-on <laughs> head buzz going down. Andy, Andy clipped his hair in the middle yep. of the match yeah, as right, well. Yeah, right. They asked me to do this spot, you yeah. guys, but I didn't have enough hair. So I was, <laughs> due to the follically challenged ability of my life, I was unable to do this segment. Interesting. I, I thought it was the lack yeah. of followers on, on the social media. Come but. on. <laughs> IG's got Follicles. Follicles, not follicles. Chanda, what, what you, I mean, if you saw, if you were, you know, watching the, watching the match and then the dude next to you gets his hair cut, what, what are you thinking? Look, I'm... I'm all for multitasking. I mean, that is taking them to the next level. I, next level. I don't know. And all those little hair pieces flying around, I don't have had a problem with that. That would have been a problem. <laughs> That's how you make money these days. He's got like 1.9 million followers on IG. He's got, got 6 nine. million on YouTube. I got nine. Okay, but, but Steve, what about people's drapes? Hair flying in your honey? That's juice? gross. I mean, it's on. gross. That's, yep. that's not cool. It's not cool. <laughs> it's gross, but he doesn't care. And he made he made TC live. He's making all the shows. Listen, that's it's uh, a brave new world. Barbara Krejcikova coming on in. She's playing some doubles today. Quarterfinal action with 
Siniakova, looking forward to that later today. The doubles didn't get a lot in yesterday with all the rain in New York City. A lot to get to on the show. Evian Americans in action. We are looking ahead to doubles action. Plus, Prakash Worldwide going no limit with the scud, Mark Philippousis. And you don't want to miss our revealing conversation with Jimmy Arias. But first, Nick at night back on stage. We'll get you caught up on everything that went down yesterday from Kyrgios to Rude and much, much more. Chanda John, Paul, Steve, back with you on TC Live at the U.S. Open, presented by Evian. A reminder that Tennis Plays for Peace is an initiative to bring the tennis community and fans together to support relief efforts for the war in Ukraine through the Global Giving's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. To learn more, please go to globalgiving.org slash U.S. Open. Back to the action. Casper Ruud controlling his own destiny of reaching world number one for the first time. Taking on Matteo Berrettini, John. He said this was the best start he's ever had in a match. 12 of the first 14 games in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. Uh, I wonder if the, the occasion figured into that. But yeah, this was just a, a strange match. The Italian word for flat is piatto. Not uh, piatti, but piatto. I just looked that up, and that's because Berrettini just didn't really have it yesterday. A, a big match for him. It had been more than two years since he had lost at a major to a player outside the big three um, until yesterday. Just a, a, a strange match, and uh, Rude took a commanding two sets to lovely zero aces for Rude in 15 service games, which tells you something about his ability to control things from the backboard. Berrettini finally, after about an hour and a half, clawed his way back into this match, but then here at 5-3, Rude Broke this went to a third set tiebreaker and just steady Casper Rude. You're right, Steve, with number one possible number one ranking on the line. Just played a more measured and, and steady match and got up a mini break in this breaker, was able to close this out. And again, sometimes one guy's playing fantastically, other times the loser is a little flat. I think it was a little of both yesterday, but good for Casper Rude advancing to the semis. At first U.S. Open semifinal for Rude. Berrettini has now lost 11 straight against top 10 players. Uh, the last match of the night had Nick Kyrgios taken on Corinne Hatchinoff, Paul. Would the summer of Nick continue? This was a really interesting match. First couple sets, it just felt a little flat in Arthur Ashe Stadium, right? Two huge servers, a lot of power tennis, but... Yato. Yeah, there wasn't uh, a lot of that electricity that we're used to. Just a little flick topspin lob. That's all it was to win the first set for Hatchinoff. And a lot of great serving from these guys. 31 aces from Kyrgios, 30 from Hatchinoff. Uh, Kyrgios did a nice job in the second set, was feeling his shin, had the trainer come out on the court, there was something wrong with his leg for a bit, seemed a little bit out of sorts, but did throw some highlight shots in there. And uh, that early break in the second set helped Nick, but I didn't see uh, that energy, and a lot of it I think was because he was feeling his leg, and also a huge moment. Uh, there was a, a lot on the line for both of these guys. Nick knew the opportunity that he had. In the third set, the battle went on. Not much between them. Again, the tie break here uh, in the fourth after Nick is down two sets to one, plays a terrific tie break. That gets him up 3-0. I thought here is when the crowd is going to lift him. And Nick uh, does a nice job closing the fourth set. I thought that was it. Nick's going to get pumped up and get going. Not so. B gets broken right here. First game of the fifth. A little bit sloppy, but a nice game from Hatchinoff after losing that tiebreak really buttoned up. 
Nick had great points in the next two return games and couldn't break. Two aces and one unforced error. Hatchinoff just toughed out that fifth set. And boy, was Nick disappointed afterwards. He knew that this slipped away. Harris. Yeah, I mean, as I said, yeah, they do. I honestly feel, I feel like, I feel like I've let so many people down. Okay. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like yeah, I'm playing Tokyo and stuff, but I just like, I feel like these four tournaments are the only ones that are ever gonna matter. And it's just like you got to start it all again, and I have to wait till Australian Open. Okay. It's just devastating, like, it's heartbreaking. Not just for me, just for everyone that I know that wants me to win. As John said, he cares. That's uh, very revealing from Nick Kyrgios after still this summer was <laughs> absolutely sizzling. Most wins on tour since June, 26 of those a Wimbledon runner-up. And even without those points, no points available at Wimbledon, this guy is back inside the top 20. So a lot of motivation for Nick going forward. So he felt like he just failed at this event. It was either winning it all or nothing at all. It's going to be hatching off against Rude in the semifinals. And then two more spots remain in the U.S. Open Final Four. Uh, Chanda, what was your reaction from Nick after and, and really what he said after that match? I think the good thing is that we're seeing Kyrgios really caring and Putting, trying to put everything into these matches. We've seen it in the consistency he's had coming into this year's U.S. Open. I was a little surprised, Paul, you mentioned this, was a bit surprised that the early stages of this match, he was so subdued. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, whether or not the doubles, that doubles loss came into play in less than 48 hours before the singles lost a tough uh, match tiebreak in the third, and maybe a little bit of hangover, maybe a little bit of physical issues that were exacerbated. But he was clearly struggling with generating a lot of power on the backhand, a little bit of the movement. And at one point, I thought he was going to maybe pull the ripcord, that he might retire the way he was talking to his box. So I thought it was a great effort for Kyrgios to take this all the way, um, you know, the distance into the fifth, had some opportunities, missed him. Hopefully he can rebound. It's always disappointing after a loss this big, though. I mean, it's going to take a while. This will sting. Guys, compare this to his defeat at the previous major. Makes the Wimbledon finals, loses to Novak Djokovic. No shame in that. All right, things are looking good. He was really upset last night. And I, I think this goes back to his being a sports fan. He knows the drill. He knew what was up on the line. He knew that after Rafa went out, he was the favorite. And that tells you something right there, that reaction. That was a bit of a squandered opportunity. I think the doubles was really interesting, not just physically playing a doubles match that goes 7-6 in the third, but just sort of the, the emotional output to then come back 24 hours later and play one of the biggest singles matches of your career. But uh, no, on the one hand, you, know, you, you don't like that reaction. At the same time, this is Nick Kyrgios. And if you ever wondered if he was invested in a tournament, uh, that was your answer. Yeah, first and foremost, hindsight's always 20-20. Easy to sit here and, and second guess and question. A couple of things, you know, 
about that stuff. I think the emotional part is even more important for Nick. Um, you know, he wants to win. He wants to win doubles when he's playing with his friend Tanasi. When he's on a team, he really wants to win. So maybe there was a little bit of an emotional drain. Beginning of that match, I talked about that. It was a little flat for both players. Maybe that was an opportunity for Nick to pump some fists, to get the crowd into it, to give him a little bit of a boost. I thought he did a terrific job fighting through uh, what he, he was feeling in his leg, wasn't feeling 100%. It's been a long summer for him but to see that heartbreak and for people outside to understand what an athlete goes through it's really challenging but for me this is a great sign go home get pumped up team around him's got to make him feel good it could be not a matter of if just when if he keeps his head screwed on straight yeah, heading back to Australia he's talked about that a lot mom's not doing too well dad either and uh, so certainly Going to get some some home cooking, and we will see Nick once again, as he says, in Tokyo, and then, you know, starting off next year at the Australian Open. Let's get you previewed for today's quarterfinal matchups. Our Tennis Express head-to-head -head between Francis Tiafo and Andre Rublev. One apiece, but this is a rematch from last year that Tiafo won in five sets. Only two points separated them, John. What are you expecting today between these two? I think Francis has a really nice shot to back up that big win against Nadal. I think he'll he'll use the crowd, and I think it's a little bit of the curious position where I think Francis, again, maybe this just comes from being a general sports fan, being in this venue. It's I don't want to say it's, it's not his tournament to lose, but he has a huge opportunity here, and I think that's something that he will know when he goes and takes the court. We'll see how he backs it up, but he's looked terrific so far. Yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, we keep talking about uh, Kyrgios was favorite. Now it's not Francis's to lose. The bottom line is there's no Federer, there's no Nadal, there's no Djokovic. Every one of these players realizes this is an opportunity, and that man right there, Andre Rublev, coming in to the tournament today, knows it just as well as anybody because he has struggled in the biggest moments to break through. I don't think any of the players that are left has been as close to him because he's had some dominant periods where he's played incredibly well, yet at the majors, just a couple slip-ups at the wrong moment. So Rublev's going to feel a lot of pressure. If you're Tiafo, get the crowd going early, have some fun, good shot selection and stay in the moment. I think this is the same stage of a tournament where, you know, especially for those who haven't won majors, you know that anybody can win and you feel like you have as, just as good a chance as anyone. I think the question is going to be how Francis Tiafo recovers from that huge emotional win against Rafa Nadal. Can he reset quickly and just get his head back down into a match that is a tough matchup? but one he's had some comfort with in the past. I mean, Tiafo certainly has to feel like he's playing some of the best tennis in his career, but Rublev is as well. He was so impressive in getting through Nori. So, you know, at this stage, you got to bring it. And I think it's about who can execute in the big moments, can handle the moment and the nerves that it entails. This is not the first time that these two have met in a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open. It was eight years ago they played the junior quarterfinal. Andre Rublev was the top seed. Francis Tiafo took him out. Some history between these two. A lot more still to get to on TC Live. The women start the quarterfinals, so who would make history and who would be history? TC Live has all your answers next.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Annika and Ruben Worth, I'm Weissman back on TC Live at the U.S. Open presented by Evian. Coverage of the quarterfinals on ESPN. Day session, noon Eastern and night session at 7 p.m. Eastern. Well, women playing for spots. This was yesterday before the U.S. Open, Paul. Anjabur set a big goal. She said reach her first semifinal in New York. She had never been past the third round. She spoke it into existence against Isla Tomjanovic. And Luz used a lot of that variety and the ability just to break rhythm coming forward. Big, flat, aggressive two-hander here. And then hits the forehand, comes in and finishes with the volley. She's just an awkward matchup because she can do so many things so well. Started off great winning that first set. Give Isla some credit. Second set used her power game to impact really the versatility of Jabur and here watch the slider overhead watch this ball bounce and slide away Ooh. that is basically going out of straight angles right there that tells you something about her talent Jabur broke back after Isla had that lead in the second set again really composed performance from Jabur just able to do what she does best and feel comfortable in a huge moment right this is a huge opportunity for both of these women and I think Jabur just did a great job in the biggest moment of this match. More history for Angebur, the first African woman to make the U.S. Open semifinals. And then Coco Goff had the New York crowds buzzing, Chanda, but Caroline Garcia did not want to play the role of supporting actress on Broadway. Uh, Garcia really shut the crowd down early, got off to a quick start, taking the ball early. I mean, she barely gave up ground on the baseline and kept consistently pushing Goff back. This one of the points where Garcia rushed the net. Goff had an opening here, and this was a big disappointment. It was a struggle for Goff to get something going. But to her credit, she got into this first set. But Garcia, again, just kept shutting Goff down. Coming in, perfect moments, and just playing. Soft hands around the net, playing with the real freedom. Served big, returned well, and here, passing Goff up the line, finding those openings. It was really remarkable how well Garcia kept her foot on the gas. Again, Goff just wasn't quite ready for the speed that Garcia was playing at. Few serves that Goff hit, 120 miles per hour. Garcia sent it back with interest. And again, those moves into the net like this, really upping the ante and forcing Goff into a few more errors. I think at the end of the day, Goff did everything she could to try to get into this match, but Garcia just had all the answers. And what a terrific win for her, her first major semifinal. She has now won 13 matches in a row, had 24 winners. Goff, 24 unforced arrows. Fly with Caro continues. And for Coco Goff, first quarterfinal in New York. We'll come back for more next year. It's been a hot girl summer. Garcia, how about this? 31 match wins, most in the WTA since June 1st. Three titles, that ranking now back in the top 10. She has not lost a set in New York. Incredible stuff for Caroline Garcia, who will take on Al Jabur 
in the semifinal. Two other spots remain. They have met twice at majors. Jabur has won both of those. From what you've seen, Paul, Caroline Garcia, is she now your favorite to win it all? Hasn't lost a match in a long time. I'll tell you what, she's got the most weapons that's left in the draw. And, and one of the things that's been amazing is the trajectory of her career, because years ago we talked about how great she could and would be. The only hiccup has been really a little bit of confidence and the margin in that power game of hers. Yesterday she did everything that a coach would love, which is you set the tone early. She got up 4-0. She was hitting the ball big, took the racket out of Coco Golf's hands. Historically, that's really difficult to do the further you get into a tournament. And so for Caroline now, is she able to sustain this confidence and do this in the semis and potentially the finals? That's the only question. When you look at her game, no reason she can't. But again, with narrow margins and more pressure, do those balls go six inches out, or do they still paint the lines? That's a tough one. And guys, look, let's restate. She had to qualify for Cincinnati last month, so this has been a recent ascent. But uh, I do want to point out, Andy, Andy Murray lost in the third round. He is making a comeback. You know what else is making a comeback? You know what else is resurfacing for Andy Murray? His tennis prognostication. It was, can you believe this? It was 11 years ago that he watched Caroline Garcia, how long ago was it, Steve, you pointed this out? This was Twitter from BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, what's a BlackBerry, what's Dad? But this was 11-plus years ago, Andy Murray watching uh, Caroline Garcia play Maria Sharapova. She actually lost that match, um, but Andy Murray spotted it and saw the talent and the offense and the defense and the athleticism. Caroline Garcia got to be a top-five player five years ago, then it's been uh, a little iffy since then, but she's really coming into it. 2011, by the way, interesting. Anz Jabur, her next opponent, was the French Open junior champion that year, her, uh, her junior rival. But Caroline Garcia has really come into form, and Andy Murray, uh, he, it took him a while. It took a while to uh, gestate that prediction, but uh, actually pretty good eye for talent, that guy from Scotland. Well, Caroline Garcia is, is putting herself back into the top 10. And I think that is really one of the advantages she has um, at this point in her career. She's been there before. She was a top five player, number four in the world at one point. And I think part of the experience, part of her palm in these tough moments now is because she's mature and gone through uh, so many ups and downs. So I think her, if she can stay relaxed, again, same thing we kind of talked about uh, for the guys, if she can stay relaxed through these big moments, she certainly, for me, is the player to beat right now with the way she's playing, with her speed, with the way she can play in all of these different areas. And on top of it, she's serving big. In the match against Goff, she was under 50%, but winning almost every point behind her first serve, doing a good job defending her second serve. That's a real weapon for Garcia, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if she can employ these, these weapons consistently in these last few rounds if she gets there. She was leading Maria Sharapova 6-3-4-1-15 love when Andy Murray sent out that tweet. We'll see if she can get to number one, but if she wins the title in New York, she will get back to her career high of number four in the world. Let's uh, break down some matches that we've got today, starting with Iga Sviantek and Jesse Pagula. Iga's won twice against Pagula this year on her way to a couple of titles, John, but... When Pagula beat Sviantek the one time she won, she won the title in D.C. That was a few years ago at the City Open. So whoever wins is going to win the title, John. But uh, who wins? <laughs> uh, they know each other well. I, I give so much credit to Jesse Pagula just for maximizing her game. I, I just think Iga has too many gears and, again, has these recent wins in majors. 
We're not probably talking enough about Iga Svantec, number one player in the world. This is only her second match this tournament on Ash, but I think, uh, as the seeding suggests, Iga is, is the favorite. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's on Iga's racket. You know, I love, love Jesse Pagula's game. I think she's an incredible tactician, but I think Sviantec's got more weapons, and she's done a little bit better, bit better in the bigger tournaments. She's going to create more opportunity. Can Jesse figure out a way to neutralize and get on offense first? Jesse says she needs to be more aggressive this time. We will see how it plays out. Big match for both of these players. And another big match coming up between Arena Sabalenka and Karolina Pliskova. Chanda, you'll be calling this one on the world feed. We've got our Wilson Beautiful Power brought to you by the all-new Ultra V4. How is that power? It's a Power V Power matchup, Chanda. But for Sabalenka, how does it work in her favor? Uh, supreme power off the Sabalenka racket, and she has been employing those weapons so strategically and with consistency. I mean, the forehand, she can hit winners at will, and in this match against Danielle Collins, she needed every bit of power from her racket to get through it. So confidence for Sabalenka on top of the power, I think that should really work in her favor. She has also never lost a major quarterfinal before. So Sabalenka looking to get to the final four once again. Guaranteed winner picks coming up later in the show. You are watching TC Live at the U.S. Open presented by our friends at Evian. TC Live at the U.S. Open is brought to you in part by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis right to your front door. Order today, ships today. Welcome back. The newly enhanced USOpenShop.org is the official shop for 2022 US Open merchandise. Get US Open gear for the entire family and check out a variety of one-of-a-kind US Open accessories. Visit USOpenShop.org today. Well, back in 1953, gas was 22 cents and the Oscar went to the greatest show on earth. That title could also go to Carlos Alcaraz, who's the youngest man since then to reach back-to-back -back quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, where the honeydeuce now goes for 22 bucks. Wow, inflation these days. Of course, you can watch the Davis Cup finals right here on Tennis Channel. Tune in as 16 nations, including Team USA, face off in the group stage over six days. Live coverage begins Tuesday, September 13th. It is now time for our Bloomberg Business Report. Time now for a special update for Tennis Channel. Goldman Sachs is sounding the alarm that global stocks will likely continue to fall. The bank strategist wrote in a note, quote, we expect further weakness and bumpy markets before a decisive trough is established. Nearly half of the U.S. workforce can be described as quiet quitters, according to research from Gallup. The firm's June survey of 15,000 workers found over 30 percent of employees are actively engaged in their job and 18 percent are actively disengaged. Russia's President Vladimir Putin has denied that the country is using its gas pipelines as an economic weapon. The country's Nord Stream pipeline has been closed due to a faulty turbine. Putin stated if the country received turbines for the repair, it would resume sending gas tomorrow. The Japanese yen has hit its weakest level versus the U.S. dollar since the 1990s. The Japanese currency has lost 20% of its value, setting it up for its worst year on record. Japan's finance minister said he was concerned and the country would respond as needed. From New York, Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg News. Thank you very much. Here's what's still to come on the show. Our Evian Americans in action featuring some double stars. Serena Williams is honored by the top players. And we are joined by Jimmy Arias, who breaks down today's matches. Also some developing news on a new country versus country competition. Don't go anywhere. 
I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I've dedicated my life to the sport of tennis. And as a professional player, I've traveled to all corners of the world for the game that I love. I'm ready to go. I'm Alize Lin, and these days, the world's top tennis academies are opening their doors to share their philosophies and training techniques with me. Together, we will meet the visionaries behind the academies and explore the culture that makes tennis a global phenomenon. This is Academy Life. Love it. And right after TC Live, you will see Alize Lim hosting Academy Life from IMG. So you'll also see Jimmy Arias. He's going to be later on TC Live as well. Let's see what's trending on social media. I love this first one, John. Uh, we've had the ATB Cup for a little while. No Hopman Cup. Well, now we're getting the United Cup. Yes, Tennis United, ATP players and WTA players. The top ones are going to be playing in Australia beginning of the year. What more can you tell us? Uh, this is great. This is essentially sort of a Hotman Cup type of re reboot. This is in uh, in Australia, and it's great. I mean, I think we, we all tend to agree whenever men and women play simultaneously, uh, the sports wins, and this is a... Uh, this was a good way to do it. ATP Cup had some problems with COVID, never quite clicked, and I think this is really a nice compromise. This is preceding the Australian Open, and again, this sounds an awful lot like what used to be the Hopman Cup, but it's great that it's gotten this uh, this resuscitation. Yeah, the Hopman Cup with points, right? I mean, yes. this yeah, is, right. Yeah, this is a this is a great opportunity to combine the men and the women. And look, we all know when the men and women are together at an event. It's a better product for our fans, and uh, I think this is a terrific time to kind of jumpstart it. So it'll be a lot of fun to see how it grows. Yeah, Hotman Cup was always a favorite, and you know, certainly for me, preparing for Australia, but being able to play on a team and in a different format, and so I think this will be very well received. I think it'll also be played in different cities um, around Australia as well. So a couple of slight differences, and the points that always helps. Points and big-time money. you got men's singles, women's singles, and mixed doubles. Very cool stuff. The United Cup. Speaking of really cool stuff, our own John Wertheim oh getting oh. honored Come on. at the International Tennis Hall of Fame's Legends Ball, the Gene Scott Award. John, congratulations. Well done. What can you tell us uh, uh, about this and, and Gene Scott? Uh, no, I mean, this, this to have an award uh, named for Gene Scott, um, that really means – a great deal. Gene Scott was a fearless journalist, a real truth teller, and he was also a really good tennis player. Uh, good, good athlete in general. I mean, people were telling me he, he could have been drafted in the NHL. He chose tennis. He was a you know, top ten player, reached the semis of the U.S. Open. But I think for most of us, he's known as this really sort of fearless, hard-charging tennis journalist. So it's really an honor to um, receive an award that bears his name. Yeah, look at John. Did you look, know him? Look at how no humble John is. You want I was going to say, there was, there was yeah. no Gene. other tweets we could have put in there? Yeah, no, look, congratula no, congratulations, big. John. Gene Scott is a, was a great guy, uh, was around uh, for quite a long time in the tennis world. Terrific honor for you. And, man, I, you know, all of our announcers, all of our journalists are doing so great. Your award. We got Ted Robinson every time around. He's oh, getting great. into a, hall a, a new hall of, fame, hall of Fame, different Hall of Fame. Haber now, right? New new investor right. of the Hall of Fame. That's a great. All you guys are doing great. And us tennis hacks, Chanda, what are we doing? We just get to sit on here and yap. That's about it. Yeah, we're just clapping. We're clapping. <laughs> yeah, we'll clap for you guys. We're cheering. You only won. You only won Grand Slam. You're next. You only won Grand Slam. Good good work, you guys. Good work. Well yeah. done, John. We'll miss you here in the studio, but you know, more coming up next. 
Welcome back to TC Live. Reminder to stay connected to the U.S. Open on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Paul's TikTok, and YouTube. Join the conversation with hashtag U.S. Open. Time now to welcome in our good friend Jimmy Arias to the program, former world number five. Jimmy is in New York. It is great to see you, Jimmy. And we've got Carlos Alcaraz playing tonight against Yannick Sinner. You were on the call for Alcaraz against Marin Cilic Monday night. That match went till 2.23 in the morning. What was that like? Yeah, that was annoying on many levels because I wanted to at least, if I'm going to be there till 2.23 in the morning, I want to at least break the record, which was 2.26. Alcaraz was serving for with about three or four minutes to go. I was thinking we got a deuce game and I've, I've got a chance to at least be part of that little history. It would have broken three other matches that had tied for 2.26, surprisingly. But if you want to talk about the tennis side of things, Alcaraz, to me is the favorite to get to the finals on his side of the drone. I think he'd be number one in the world. He's playing remarkably well. He moves incredibly well. He is explosive and he's got a coach that's coaching him in the middle of the match. So all of a sudden he decided in the fourth set to back way up on return of serve that started working for him. He is a guy that also he's yelled at him to start serving to the forehand that broke down Chilich's forehand a little bit as the match wore on. So he's got incredible tools, incredible weapons. He's got a pretty good coach. He is going up against a guy in Yannick Sinner that is also has a tremendous coach, has beaten him the last two times. This is a match that I expect to see in Grand Slam final soon. We're going to see it in a quarterfinal. Jimmy, what about uh, Francis? Did such a great job uh, in that big win over Rafa. You know, it's taken a while. Francis, we've seen all this great talent. Is this his breakthrough time now? You certainly hope so. I mean, it was amazing, wasn't it, to see him get through a big match like that. The emotions afterwards while I'm watching him sort of break down, I started breaking down. He's been so close for so long. He's such a great kid, such a not a kid anymore. Um, and it's been a consistency issue for him to be able to concentrate from start of a match to a finish a match. He always has ups and downs. It's very difficult to beat these great players when you're having that little bit of a lull in the middle of a match. Well, he hasn't had a lull yet at the U.S. Open. He's been winning in straight sets, and then he gets the great Rafa Nadal, and he wins it in four sets. Can he keep this going? I hope so. I hope he doesn't have a little bit of a letdown now after that huge win. Now, if you're coaching him, you and I both know about the letdown after the big win. What do you tell him about the letdown? I mean, it's hard to say anything other than keep doing what you've been doing every point, play every point. He's a guy that seems to always enjoy the moment, enjoy the crowds. Let him play to that. And I think if he does, if he if he listens to the crowd that is going to be cheering for him the rest of the way, I think he's got a chance. Here with Jimmy Arias, former world number five, our colleague here at Tennis Channel, calling matches on the world feed at the U.S. Open. Uh, Jimmy, that win for Francis Tiafo, biggest for an American man at the U.S. Open since James Blake beat Rafa, which talks about how long Rafa has been dominant in the top five of the world. What's your big takeaway for Nadal this tournament? I think Nadal's one of those guys that if he's not feeling it, it takes him a little bit of time. And I don't think he played well in any match here, really. He didn't play his best. He was somewhat vulnerable. I don't think, I think Rafa Nadal's still going to be Rafa Nadal until he decides not to be any longer. So I think he's certainly a guy that is going to continue at, 
Roland Garros, at least, to be the favorite to play, so long as his body holds up. We have to see if his body holds up. And, and with Rob, obviously, big things coming up in his life. He's going to be a father. And at this stage in his life, he's got a lot of other things going on. Uh, and, and they need breaks, right? So he's going to have fatherhood. He plays a little bit of golf. And, and, you know, Jimmy, I've asked you so many times to come out and play golf with me in L.A., and we haven't gotten to do it yet. And now I'm so glad that we haven't gotten to do it because I'm really afraid to bring you over to my club because I saw some stuff that was very, very disconcerting on the Internet. How, how's that follow through? Occasionally I, occasionally I struggled with the follow through, especially when there's barber poles right next to me. Look, I just got to say that to defend myself in a, in a small way, um, I think that was all set up by Jesse Levine. The so swing I was hitting good. little chips. The swing looked good. Listen, I, I don't know. I was hitting little chips, okay? Little chips, because that's what you were supposed to do. It was with a <laughs> wiffle ball that was there. And I had a golf tournament about three days after I was finished. That was in the, Mon in the Montreal Player Lounge, embarrassingly enough. I had a golf tournament three days after the tournament was over. I said, hey, I'm going to take a full swing. I didn't notice this pole that was behind me. And Jesse Levine, who'd been there the whole time, suddenly goes, well, I'll video it for you. <laughs> so I'm reasonably sure he knew follow-through wasn't going to work out that well for me, but he, he denies it to this day. And, you know. What are friends for? Sort of what are history, friends for? So yeah. <laughs> Jimmy. Thank you, Jesse. Jimmy, I've got two follow-ups for you. First, why was the initial reaction to catch falling glass? That one is hard to answer other than the actual incredible shock and hope that somehow this didn't actually happen. So my first reaction was, I, I heard it, but I couldn't believe it. So I start to put my hand up to stop it. And then I actually got, there was a little shard right on my eyebrow. And that yeah, was lucky. actually a little freaky. So then I decided, yeah, I decided, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go away from the glass. And then I, if you see the end of the video, I turn my head and see Levine. He had started out sort of behind me, but he is laughing so hard and almost <laughs> struggling to keep his balance that I end up laughing too because he's, he, he's almost going down. I wish I'd had a video of him videoing my, you know, breaking into the glass. And, uh, and what was the bill? From, uh, from Montreal, would they charge you? That was the other sort of funny thing, was that uh, no one said anything, <laughs> and some guy just came and cleaned up the glass. And the other thing that was actually somewhat strange and difficult for me to deal with was literally five minutes later, I see Prakash Armitage, and he says, that was you breaking the glass? And then... <laughs> Another piece fell from the thing and broke again. And I go, yeah, that was me. And it's still happening. <laughs> we need to get Jimmy on Prakash Worldwide NYC No Limit. That, I mean, that's, that's a duo right there. We love you, Jimmy. Thanks for joining us here today hey, on TC Live. Take care. Thank you, guys. Be good. That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of awesome, Serena Williams, the biggest names in the sport honor the legend. Don't go anywhere. Tennis Channel, live, presented by Evian. Back on TC Live, presented by Evian. And if this was her final farewell, Serena Williams showed that vintage fight, which characterized her entire career, pushing herself until the end. 
It was Serena's longest match ever at the U.S. Open in a career that spanned a quarter century. Here's a message to Serena from the tennis world as we continue to honor her incredible accomplishments. When I started to play tennis, when I first started to watch tennis on TV a little bit, Serena was already at the top of the game and uh, winning Grand Slams, and uh, I was like six years old. I think over 20 years ago when Serena started playing tennis, I don't think anyone would have expected her to play into her 40s. Chasing history, I think that became a really big part of the story of Serena. She loved proving everybody wrong. We were lucky to have a, a huge, a great ambassador like Serena for such a, a long time. If I had one word to describe Serena Williams, it would be GOAT. She's the best of all time. No matter the Grand Slam, whatever that is, I think that she has proved that over the years she has been the most consistent and strong player. Well, there's a lot of things that makes her greatest of all time. I always think about her serve. The best serve ever, and the guys agree with me. She absolutely had the greatest presence I have ever seen on a tennis court, the power of her game. Every time she walked on a tennis court, you knew this was the greatest. Serena Williams, what a performance! Serena was very important to making tennis more popular around the world and certainly bringing more attention to it from minorities. I mean, when you saw this black girl playing who was so powerful, who was so dominant. She has reached out and touched people and influenced people's lives, especially young girls and encourage them to compete on equal terms. We had a whole new set of fans. I could see a change at all the tournaments and the excitement level. If I had one message for Serena, you're an absolute inspiration and motivation to millions of people worldwide. You actually inspire kids to believe in themselves and achieve something very special if they put their mind to it, no matter where you're from. We all have learned many things from her, and every time we share the court with her, it was a special moment for us. She shows us that it's possible, and she shows us that we can, you know, uh, win so many tournaments, but also be a mother and play at the same time, and also have a really great business. Serena has had a major impact not only in tennis or sports, but the whole world. Serena's transcended our sport, gone way beyond the boundaries of just being an athlete. Using tennis as a platform and giving back. When you go around the world, you don't even have to mention tennis. If you just said Serena to anybody, anywhere, you're almost certainly going to have that person finish your sentence. Williams? She's sort of like a Michael Jordan or like a Wayne Gretzky and uh, Roger Federer, where she's just um, sort of transcends the sport. She's that powerful, she's that popular, uh, she's meant that much to, to so many. I think it's very appropriate that, uh, you know, her last tournament comes at the U.S. Open when she decides, and I hope that she really gets the goodbye that she deserves. If I had one message for Serena Williams, it would be congratulations on the most incredible career. Big thank you for what you gave to this sport. Ah, it's beautiful. Goat among goats. Now Serena compares to the other legends of their sports. How about this? That match against Tomjanovic, the most watched tennis match in ESPN history. 4.8 million viewers. That's a million more than when Federer won Wimbledon in 2012. What does that tell you, John? 
Yeah, I think that piece really sums up nicely. This is a absolutely transcendent athlete. Sometimes we talk about, about her impact and we frame it in terms of look how many black women are playing tennis or in the high ranks of the WTA. That's undeniable, but I think that almost sells short Serena's impact. This is global. This is male. This is female. This is international as well as domestic. And I think that piece really encapsulated it, it nicely. Yeah, it's hard to really put into words, you know, what Serena has meant to so many around the world and everyone, whether they were in the sport or, or watching from the outside, they've tried. And I think all of it is true. All of it encapsulates who she is, but it's even more. And, you know, we're just grateful that we've been able to witness, witness it, I think, for so long. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to just really for all of us to think about is help our kids learn to dream big. You know, I mean, you just never imagine that this woman with her background, what she's done, where she's come from, her and Venus both, and the way they've done it. So we should all try to inspire our kids. From the public courts in Compton to center court, the grandest stages in tennis. Amazing stuff for Serena Williams. And we will continue to honor the queen, a career unrivaled and a legacy that will continue to grow. Serena, a name that shall forever define greatness passion, authenticity, and that ultimate desire to win. Thank you, Serena. Cadillac player arrivals on site. Big foe in the house. Oh, look at that smile. It's been lighting it up. Wayne Pereira put on a new shirt. Look at that. There we go. <laughs> Where are you going with that? Oh, it was a nice shirt from Wayne Pereira. Oh, okay. Coach has got to keep it clean up there. Here's our lineup today on Ash Stadium. Day 10, starting with Sabalenka Pliskova. Chanda Rubin on the call, World Feed Styles. Francis Tiafo taking on Andre Rublev. Then Sviantek Pagula. Sinner Alcaraz spots in the semifinals on the line. Let's get you caught up on some doubles action from yesterday, starting with Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, the defending champions, Paul. These guys are so much fun to watch. And how about how Raj still making a great career even better, making a good living, playing some top-notch doubles and trying to defend that U.S. Open title. Guys got off to a terrific first set, six games to four. It's a little bit uh, more nail-biting in the second here in the tiebreak. Raj doesn't quite have the hops anymore to get up to that one. That's 38 years old. That's a tough one, no problem, though. Lose the third set, uh, second set, then uh, on to the third. What do you do? You break in the first game. And uh, those guys did a terrific job rebounding after losing a tough tie break. And once again, these guys are down to the nitty gritty, making it up to the semifinals. Illinois Memphis combo. Moving on. And then we got some more college tennis. USC Trojan Robert Farah with Juan Sebastian Cabal. This may be the greatest doubles highlight you've ever seen, Chanda. Take us through it. Uh, the greatest highlight because there were so many incredible points like that one. Quick fire tennis up at the net, and these guys are the best in the business. For Rod there, I need the backhand line. Almost curving that around the net. And then this point right here, this is Kabal on the ground, getting too folly, defending, finally losing it at the end. Glasgow putting the overhead away, but how incredible was that? We had so much fun watching this match. No way. It's like a sword. He's moving, he's moving around. And look, this the first set still wasn't over. I mean, these were highlight real stuff after highlight real stuff. Again, hurrah uh, with the quick hands there at the net. They would take the first set 7-6 and then just got better uh, as that match went on. Incredible stuff. A lot of fun to watch. 
These guys do it again. Cabal and Farah. That was wild. Oh my God. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> it's just like, mm, it's like a mm. highlight. Oh. <laughs> football helmet and a chest protector for that. Right? That's good stuff. Steve, you've got to get on the ground and do it, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's on his Not knees. And he's just, <laughs> go frying pan. Go home curious. We've got uh, a new highlight champion. That's good wow. stuff. Uh, Evian Americans in action, and uh, we've got three in one match as we've got Desi Kravchek playing with Demi Schurz, taking on the all-American duo of Katie McNally and Taylor Townsend. Chanda, I mean, this is an exciting matchup. Uh, it really is. McNally, Townsend, it's been fun to see them playing uh, together and finding their form. Kravchek and Schurz, they are established doubles players, and so you expect them to have the advantage, but don't sleep on McNally Townsend. They're having a lot of fun. The crowd has been getting behind them, and we'll see what they can do. It should be a good match. That's a quarterfinal matchup. And then in mixed doubles, we've got Jack Sock, who is still in action, arguably the greatest doubles player on the planet right now, Layla Fernandez, the partner. And uh, they've got a tough matchup against Storm Sanders and John Pierce, Paul. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, John Pierce, one of the best uh, doubles players out there. Storm Sanders also very, very viable on the doubles court. You know, Jack is so much fun to watch. And it's a really good combination because Layla Fernandez, I tell you what, she brings energy. She's able to move, cover different corners on the court. And I think Jack's taking a little bit of a more mentorship role here as he's the older player. They're doing some great stuff out there. Layla Fernandez went, went the bumble route and uh, went to social media to find a partner. And there was Jack Sock waiting in the wings. Layla Fernandez, uh, second year in a row. She plays late at the U.S. Open. Last year, a singles finalist this year in the mix. But it just goes to show uh, our, our bromide is true that the best mixed doubles team is uh, Jack Sock and whoever else he plays with. Layla Fernandez just had her 20th birthday. Happy birthday, Layla. We'll see if she can celebrate with a U.S. Open title in mixed doubles. Still to come, Prakash Worldwide going one-on-one -on -one with Mark Philippousis. No Limit NYC, another episode of High Level Hijinks on the way. Back on TC Live for a fourth straight time, Team Europe took the Labor Cup in Boston, and this was pure dominance. A 14-1 final score over Team World. Andre Rublev had a team leading six points for Europe who take the trophy back on home soil at the O2 Arena in London. Tennis Channel has your exclusive coverage September 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And for the first time ever, the Big Four will all be on the same team. Take a look at this. Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Andy Murray all playing for Team Europe. On Team World, we've got Fritz. Timonor, Sock, Isner, Schwartzman, and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Paul, I'll never forget calling the first time that Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer played doubles together at the Labor Cup with you. I mean, it was spectacular scenes. What makes this event so special in your opinion? Well, I think the idea that these icons combine together in a team format, the name that's attached to it, Mr. Rod Laver, who is uh, absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of tennis, and just the amount of energy, I mean, you talk about that one match. We've seen it before. Every time we go in there, the arena, the tension is palpable. Players are playing for their teammates. It's an amazing event. Uh, we've had the privilege to be there. We're going to be there again. Yeah, looking forward to Can't wait to see all the big four playing on the same team. The Labor Cup was made for legends. Speaking of which, Prakash Amitraj now sits down for our Tennis Honor Series. I think when Serena retires, there's, there's gonna be a huge gap. There's gonna be a huge void. You know, even now, 
when the average fan thinks WTA, you, you first think Serena Williams. When you think female tennis player, anywhere around the world, first name that you think about is Serena Williams. I mean, Serena's been doing this for over two decades at this level, you know, at, at the top of all sorts of different conversations, whether it's social, whether it's uh, professional, anything, she's always been there. So you can't not think of Serena Williams when you think about tennis. Well, that's the truth. We will be celebrating Serena all tournament long with our Tennis Honor Series. And straight ahead, we've got your top highlights and reaction from yesterday. Plus, we'll get you set for the quarterfinals today. Shanda John, Paul, Steve, back with you on TC Live at the U.S. Open, presented by Evian. A reminder that Tennis Plays for Peace is an initiative to bring the tennis community and fans together to support relief efforts for the war in Ukraine through the Global Giving's Ukraine Crisis Relief Fund. To learn more, please go to globalgiving.org slash US Open. Back to the action, Casper Ruud controlling his own destiny of reaching world number one for the first time. Taking on Matteo Berrettini, John. He said this was the best start he's ever had in a match. 12 of the first 14 games in the Grand Slam quarterfinal. Uh, I wonder if the, the occasion figured into that. But yeah, this was just a, a strange match. The Italian word for flat is piatto. Not uh, piatti, but piatto. I just looked that up, and that's because Berrettini just didn't really have it yesterday. A, a big match for him. It had been more than two years since he had lost at a major to a player outside the big three. Um, until yesterday. Just a, a, a strange match, and uh, Rude took a commanding two sets to lovely zero aces for Rude in 15 service games, which tells you something about his ability to control things from the backboard. Berrettini finally, after about an hour and a half, clawed his way back into this match, but then here at 5-3, Rude broke. This went to a third set tiebreaker, and just steady Casper Rude. You're right, Steve, with number one possible number one ranking on the line. Just played a more measured and, and steady match and got up a mini break in this breaker, was able to close this out. And again, sometimes one guy's playing fantastically, other times the loser is a little flat. I think it was a little of both yesterday, but good for Casper Rude advancing to the semis. At first U.S. Open semifinal for Rude. Berrettini has now lost 11 straight against top 10 players. Uh, the last match of the night had Nick Kyrgios taken on Corinne Hashinov. Paul, would the summer of Nick continue? This was a really interesting match. First couple sets, it just felt a little flat in Arthur Ashe Stadium, right? Two huge servers, a lot of power tennis, but Yato. yeah, there wasn't uh, a lot of that electricity that we're used to. Just a little flick topspin lob. That's all it was to win the first set for Hatchinoff. And a lot of great serving from these guys. 31 aces from Kyrgios, 30 from Hatchinoff. Uh, Kyrgios did a nice job in the second set. Was feeling his shin. Had the trainer come out on the court. There was something wrong with his leg for a bit. Seemed a little bit out of sorts, but did throw some highlight shots in there. And uh, that early break in the second set helped Nick, but I didn't see uh, that energy and a lot of it I think was because he was feeling his leg and also a huge moment uh, as a, a lot on the line for both of these guys Nick knew the opportunity that he had in the third set the battle went on not much between them again the tie break here uh, in the fourth after Nick is down two sets to one plays a terrific tie break that gets him up 3-0 I thought here 
is when the crowd is going to lift him. And Nick uh, does a nice job closing the fourth set. I thought that was it. Nick's going to get pumped up and get going. Not so. Gets broken right here. First game of the fifth. A little bit sloppy, but a nice game from Hatchinoff after losing that tiebreak really buttoned up. Nick had great points in the next two return games and couldn't break. Two aces and one unforced error. Hatchinoff just toughed out that fifth set. And boy, was Nick disappointed afterwards. He knew that this slipped away. Harris. Dude, defeats like this hurt more. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as I said, yeah, they do. I honestly feel, I feel like, I feel like I've let so many people down. I just, I don't know, I just, I feel like, yeah, I'm playing Tokyo and stuff, but I just like, I feel like these four tournaments are the only ones that are ever going to matter. And it's just like, you got to start it all again. And I have to wait till Australian Open. It's just devastating. Like, it's heartbreaking. Not just for me, just for everyone that I know that wants me to win. John said he cares. That's uh, very revealing from Nick Kyrgios after still this summer was <laughs> absolutely sizzling. Most wins on tour since June, 26 of those, a Wimbledon runner-up. And even without those points, no points available at Wimbledon, this guy is back inside the top 20. So a lot of motivation for Nick going forward. So he felt like he just failed at this event. It was either winning it all or nothing at all. It's going to be hatching off against Rude in the semifinals, and then two more spots remain in the U.S. Open Final Four. Uh, Chanda, what was your reaction from Nick after, and, and really what he said after that match? I think the good thing is that we're seeing Kyrgios really caring and putting, trying to put everything into these matches. We've seen it in the consistency he's had coming into this year's U.S. Open. I was a little surprised, Paul, you mentioned this, was a bit surprised that the early stages of this match, he was so subdued. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, whether or not the doubles, that doubles loss came into play in less than 48 hours before the singles lost a tough uh, match tiebreak in the third, and maybe a little bit of hangover, maybe a little bit of physical issues that were exacerbated. But he was clearly struggling with generating a lot of power on the backhand, a little bit of the movement. And at one point, I thought he was going to maybe pull the ripcord, that he might retire the way he was talking to his box. So I thought it was a great effort for Kyrgios to take this all the way, um, you know, the distance into the fifth, had some opportunities, missed him. Hopefully he can rebound. It's always disappointing after a loss this big, though. I mean, it's going to take a while. This will sting. Guys, compare this to his defeat at the previous major. Makes the Wimbledon finals, loses to Novak Djokovic. No shame in that. All right, things are looking good. He was really upset last night. And I, I think this goes back to his being a sports fan. He knows the drill. He knew what was up on the line. He knew that after Rafa went out, he was the favorite. And that tells you something right there, that reaction. That was a bit of a squandered opportunity. I think the doubles was really interesting, not just physically playing a doubles match that goes 7-6 in the third, but just sort of the, the emotional output 
to then come back 24 hours later and play one of the biggest singles matches of your career. But uh, no, on the one hand, you, know, you, you don't like that reaction. At the same time, this is Nick Kyrgios. And if you ever wondered if he was invested in a tournament, uh, that was your answer. Yeah, first and foremost, hindsight's always 20-20. Easy to sit here and, and second guess and question. A couple of things, you know, about that stuff. I think the emotional part is even more important for Nick. Um, you know, he wants to win. He wants to win doubles when he's playing with his friend Tanasi. When he's on a team, he really wants to win. So maybe there was a little bit of an emotional drain. Beginning of that match, I talked about that. It was a little flat for both players. Maybe that was an opportunity for Nick to pump some fists, to get the crowd into it, to give him a little bit of a boost. I thought he did a terrific job fighting through uh, what he, he was feeling in his leg. Wasn't feeling 100%. It's been a long summer for him but to see that heartbreak and for people outside to understand what an athlete goes through it's really challenging but for me this is a great sign go home get pumped up team around him's got to make him feel good it could be not a matter of if just when if he keeps his head screwed on straight now, heading back to Australia, he's talked about that a lot. Mom's not doing too well, Dad, either. And uh, so certainly going to get some, some home cooking. And we will see Nick once again, as he says, in Tokyo. And then, you know, starting off next year at the Australian Open. Let's get you previewed for today's quarterfinal matchups. Our Tennis Express head-to-head -head between Francis Tiafo and Andre Rublev. One apiece, but this is a rematch from last year that Tiafo won in five sets. Only two points separated them, John. What are you expecting today between these two? I think Francis has a really nice shot to back up that big win against Nadal. I think he'll he'll use the crowd, and I think it's a little bit of the curious position where I think Francis, again, maybe this just comes from being a general sports fan, being in this venue. It's I don't want to say it's not his tournament to lose, but he has a huge opportunity here, and I think that's something that he will know when he goes and takes the court. We'll see how he backs it up, but he's looked terrific so far. Yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, we keep talking about Curios uh, was favorite. Now it's not Francis's to lose. The bottom line is there's no Federer, there's no Nadal, there's no Djokovic. Every one of these players realizes this is an opportunity, and that man right there, Andre Rublev, coming in to the tournament today, knows it just as well as anybody because he has struggled in the biggest moments to break through. I don't think any of the players that are left has been as close to him because he's had some dominant periods where he's played incredibly well, yet at the majors, just a couple slip-ups at the wrong moment. So Rublev's going to feel a lot of pressure. If you're Tiafo, get the crowd going early, have some fun, good shot selection and stay in the moment i think this is the same stage of a tournament where you know especially for those who haven't won majors you know that anybody can win and you feel like you have as just as good a chance as anyone i think the question is going to be how francis tiafo recovers from that huge emotional win against rafa nadal can he reset quickly and just get his head back down into a match that is a tough matchup but one he's had some comfort with in the past. I mean, Tiafo certainly has to feel like he's playing some of the best tennis in his career, but Rublev is as well. He was so impressive in getting through Nori. So, you know, at this stage, you got to bring it. And I think it's about who can execute in the big moments, can handle the moment and the nerves that it entails. This is not the first time that these two have met in a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open. It was eight years ago they played the junior quarterfinal. Andre Rublev was the top seed. Francis Tiafo took him out. Some history between these two. A lot more still to get to on TC Live. The women start the quarterfinals, so who would make history and who would be history? TC Live has all your answers next. 
Annika and Ruben, Wertham Weissman back on TC Live at the U.S. Open, presented by Evian. Coverage of the quarterfinals on ESPN. Day session, noon Eastern, and night session at 7 p.m. Eastern. Well, women playing for spots. This was yesterday. Before the U.S. Open, Paul, Angebar set a big goal. She said reach her first semifinal in New York. She had never been past the third round. She spoke it into existence against Isla Tomjanovic. And Luz used a lot of that variety and the ability just to break rhythm coming forward. Big, flat, aggressive two-hander here. And then hits the forehand, comes in and finishes with the volley. She's just an awkward matchup because she can do so many things so well. Started off great winning that first set. Give Isla some credit. Second set used her power game to impact really the versatility of Jabur and here watch the slider overhead watch this ball bounce and slide away Ooh. that is basically going kind of straight angles right there that tells you something about her talent Jabur broke back after Isla had that lead in the second set again really composed performance from Jabur just able to do what she does best and feel comfortable in a huge moment right this is a huge opportunity for both of these women and I think Jabur just did a great job in the biggest moment of this match. More history for Angebur, the first African woman to make the U.S. Open semifinals. And then Coco Goff had the New York crowds buzzing, Chanda, but Caroline Garcia did not want to play the role of supporting actress on Broadway. Uh, Garcia really shut the crowd down early, got off to a quick start, taking the ball early. I mean, she barely gave up ground on the baseline and kept consistently pushing Goff back. This one of the points where Garcia rushed the net. Goff had an opening here, and this was a big disappointment. It was a struggle for Goff to get something going. But to her credit, she got into this first set. But Garcia, again, just kept shutting Goff down. Coming in, perfect moments, and just playing. Soft hands around the net, playing with the real freedom. Served big, returned well, and here, passing Goff up the line, finding those openings. It was really remarkable how well Garcia kept her foot on the gas. Again, Goff just wasn't quite ready for the speed that Garcia was playing at. Few serves that Goff hit, 120 miles per hour. Garcia sent it back with interest. And again, those moves into the net like this, really upping the ante and forcing Goff into a few more errors. I think at the end of the day, Goff did everything she could to try to get into this match, but Garcia just had all the answers. And what a terrific win for her, her first major semifinal. She has now won 13 matches in a row, had 24 winners. Goff, 24 unforced arrows. Fly with Caro continues. And for Coco Goff, first quarterfinal in New York. We'll come back for more next year. It's been a hot girl summer. Garcia, how about this? 31 match wins, most in the WTA since June 1st. Three titles, that ranking now back in the top 10. She has not lost a set in New York. Incredible stuff for Caroline Garcia, who will take on all Jabur in the semifinal. Two other spots remain. They have met twice at majors. Jabur has won both of those. From what you've seen, Paul, Caroline Garcia. Is she now your favorite to win it all? Hasn't lost a match in a long time. I'll tell you what, she's got the most weapons that's left in the draw. And, and one of the things that's been amazing is the trajectory of her career. Because years ago we talked about how great she could and would be. The only hiccup has been really a little bit of confidence and the margin in that power game of hers. Yesterday she did 
everything that a coach would love, which is you set the tone early. She got up 4-0. She was hitting the ball big, took the racket out of Coco Golf's hands. Historically, that's really difficult to do the further you get into a tournament. And so for Caroline now, is she able to sustain this confidence and do this in the semis and potentially the finals? That's the only question. When you look at her game, no reason she can't. But again, with narrow margins and more pressure, do those balls go six inches out or do they still paint the lines? That's a tough one. And guys, look, let's restate. She had to qualify for Cincinnati last month. So this has been a recent ascent. But uh, I do want to point out, Andy, Andy Murray lost in the third round. He is making a comeback. You know what else is making a comeback? You know what else is resurfacing for Andy Murray? His tennis prognostication. It was, can you believe this? It was 11 years ago that he watched Caroline Garcia, how long ago was the Steve you pointed this out? This was Twitter from BlackBerry. <laughs> yeah. What's a, what's a BlackBerry, what's Dad? But this was 11-plus years ago, Andy Murray watching uh, Caroline Garcia play Maria Sharapova. She actually lost that match. Um, but Andy Murray spotted it and saw the talent and the offense and the defense and the athleticism. Caroline Garcia got to be a top-five player five years ago. Then it's been uh, a little iffy since then, but she's really coming into it. 2011, by the way, interesting. Anz Jabeur, her next opponent, was the French Open junior champion that year, her, uh, her junior rival. But Caroline Garcia has really come into form. And Andy Murray, uh, he, it took him a while. It took a while to uh, gestate that prediction, but uh, actually pretty good eye for talent, that guy from Scotland. Well, Caroline Garcia is, is putting herself back into the top 10. And I think that is really one of the advantages she has um, at this point in her career. She's been there before. She was a top five player, number four in the world at one point. And I think part of the experience, part of her palm in these tough moments now is because she's mature and gone through uh, so many ups and downs. So I think her, if she can stay relaxed, again, same thing we kind of talked about uh, for the guys, if she can stay relaxed through these big moments, she certainly, for me, is the player to beat right now with the way she's playing, with her speed, with the way she can play in all of these different areas. And on top of it, she's serving big. In the match against Goff, she was under 50%, but winning almost every point behind her first serve, doing a good job defending her second serve. That's a real weapon for Garcia, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if she can employ these, these weapons consistently in these last few rounds if she gets there. She was leading Maria Sharapova 6-3-4-1-15-love when Andy Murray sent out that tweet. We'll see if she can get to number one, but if she wins the title in New York, she will get back to her career high of number four in the world. Let's uh, break down some matches that we've got today, starting with Iga Sviantek and Jesse Pagula. Iga's won twice against Pagula this year on her way to a couple of titles, John, but when Pagula beat Sviantek the one time she won, she won the title in D.C. That was a few years ago at the City Open. So whoever wins is going to win the title, John. But uh, who wins? <laughs> uh, they know each other well. I, I give so much credit to Jesse Pagula just for maximizing her game. I, I just think Iga has too many gears and, again, has these recent wins in majors. We're not probably talking enough about Iga Svantec, number one player in the world. This is only her second match this tournament on Ash, but I think, uh, as the seeding suggests, Iga is, is the favorite. Yeah, I think the thing is, it's on Iga's racket. You know, I love, love Jesse Pagula's game. I think she's an incredible tactician, but I think Svantec's got more weapons, and she's done a little bit better, bit better in the bigger tournaments. She's going to create more opportunity. Can Jesse figure out a way to neutralize and get on offense first?
Jesse says she needs to be more aggressive this time. We will see how it plays out. Big match for both of these players. And another big match coming up between Arena Sabalenka and Karolina Pliskova. Chanda, you'll be calling this one on the world feed. We've got our Wilson Beautiful Power brought to you by the all-new Ultra V4. How is that power? It's a power v power matchup, Chanda. But for Sabalenka, how does it work in her favor? Uh, supreme power off the Sabalenka racket, and she has been employing those weapons so strategically and with consistency. I mean, the forehand, she can hit winners at will. And in this match against Danielle Collins, she needed every bit of power from her racket to get through it. So confidence for Sabalenka on top of the power, I think that should really work in her favor. She has also never lost a major quarterfinal before. So Sabalenka looking to get to the final four once again. Guaranteed winner picks coming up later in the show. You are watching TC Live at the U.S. Open presented by our friends at Evian. Squad back on TC Live. Player arrivals brought to you by Cadillac. There is Casper Ruud. First U.S. Open semifinal here in all the back. A little windy there, huh, John? Rude awakening. Oh, yeah. Caroline Garcia looking to go for the double-double because she's playing doubles today with Kiki Ladenovich. They're second on Armstrong. Plus, she's in the singles. It's a, it's a solid event for her. She's got an in-and-out patch deal. In-and-out burger, double-double patch deal. Yeah. Animal style. <laughs> right now on Tennis.com, all the Serena content in the world. Steve Tigner does a great job with his three to see every day. Don't want to miss that. And Stephanie Libide breaking down Casper Ruud being one step closer to the top notch in all the land. Time for our daily dose of Prakash Worldwide. Hey, there he is. There he is. What's up, Scott? Good to see you. Hey, yeah. Good to see you. We're going to do a little uh, little caffeine this afternoon? I'd love some. Okay. Have you had your caffeine shot today? I've had quite a few, actually. Right. I have a little bit of a caffeine problem, Mark. Can I get almond milk for my iced latte? Absolutely. No, no, what, 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 what's the almond? Are you trying to be healthy? What's the... Anything that'll help. You know, <laughs> just a little 1% here, 1% there, you know, hopefully it all adds up together. You know, your generation, the 90s, that was the time. Being a celebrity and a superstar athlete was very different in the 90s compared to how it is now. You know, the lounges weren't packed. You pretty much just had a coach, that's it. Maybe a trainer towards the end of the 90s. Right. Now, players are like brands. It's like entourage. So it's a complete different thing. And you didn't have the social media or the, the phones. You could play and, and, and of course you dealt with the crowd and appreciate signing autographs and all that. But then when you switched off, you could switch off when you wanted to get away. You know, I mean, when you came on tour, 19 years old, you take out Pete and Giant Match in a, in a Grand Slam, you're, you're this superstar. You know, and a lot of athletes, when they do that, sometimes they struggle to be able to pass that knowledge on. Right. And, you know, you've sunk into this beautiful role where you've become a mentor and coach for Steph. How has that role been for you? For me, I, I, you know, if I commit myself, it needed to be to the right person. It needed to make sense to me. And Steph was someone that, that made sense to me and would excite me at the thought because... He's someone that's an all-rounder. Of yeah. course, he's, he stays from the back and does his thing, but he likes to come forward. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that that's something that can be worked on. Yeah. No one's working on those volleys. Yeah. I understand times of change. I understand the conditions are slower, the courts are heavier, the balls are heavier, but it's still an important part of the game of coming in, finishing yeah. balls off the net. 
I gotta also just go back to, to your time period because there's so many beautiful things I loved about it. A lot of guys today, they wouldn't cut it back then, you know, because we were a lot tougher, you know? I mean, today, you know, God forbid you do anything wrong, you know, you tag the guy or something, you gotta give 55,000 apologies. Can I just say... You, you guys were a little different back I then. I mean, uh, these guys are talented as an incredible athletes, but my God, are they soft. <laughs> I just went by the lounge. Soft like Charmin. I just went by the lounge. They've got a hair salon there, and then now they do feet and nails. I mean, my God. You know? Did you and Pete ever sit together, get a couple pedicures, sit next to each other? No. When I had a short ball, I went right at the guy. Always. You say sorry and you move on. Yeah. Now it's like. Man, you've got to send an email to apologize, a text, an Instagram post. Go at him again. Hit him again. Or go get a pedicure. One of those two. These kids, these kids do something. Flip, we, 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 we got to do this more often. Thank you for your time, man. It was a pleasure. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> these guys are soft. You agree with that, Paul? Soft as marshmallows. <laughs> USOpen.org, your online home for point-by-point -point live scoring, highlights, real-time stats, and draws. Visit the official tournament site at USOpen.org. Our guaranteed locks coming up next. TC Live at the US Open is brought to you in part by Cadillac. Be iconic. Welcome back. Time for our People Magazine stars in the stands. Paul's favorite segment of the show. Who do we have, Paul? Well, this is it. Look at this. Michael Costa, right. Trevor, Noah. I, I got to tell you guys, my neighbor Jermaine every night comes in and hey, tells Jermaine. me who all these people. Jermaine, come over, Jermaine and Kevin come over for cocktails. Because <laughs> okay. I don't know anyone. She just yeah. tells me everybody. So I knew Michael Costa. I knew Trevor Noah. Who after after that? Costa's our guy, you, didn't, you know, sure know Michael, warm and yeah. fuzzy. There we go. Elizabeth Holmes in the house. Oh, I didn't no. know Amanda. Jermaine and Kevin had to say, that's Amanda, Paul. Right. That's Anna Samova? No, I oh, know Amanda Anna Samova, okay. Steve. Come on. For more People Magazine stars in the stands, go to people.com. Cue the tune, Scott. Time for Wertheim Stat of the Day. Whoa, there we go. Uh, <laughs> it's been, could this be right? 13 years since Juan Martín del Potro lifted the trophy. And you know what that means? 13 years since a non-European won a major title on the men's side. That is insane. It's almost like Europe dominates men's tennis. Almost. <laughs> almost. Fra almost. Francis, uh, Francis, in theory, could snap that. Trying yes. to change um, it. One remaining non-European here at the U.S. Open. Today is actually the 19-year anniversary. On this day, Andy Roddick and won God, the U.S. Open yeah. back in 2003. So, Francis Tiafo can be that guy, Chanda. Who's your guaranteed pick today? Well, I had one pick, and I think John stole my pick, so I got to go with another one. But I'm going to pick from the heart now. I'm, I'm going to say Francis Tiafo. Let's go all the way. Let's get this first one, and, and let's do it. Why not you? Oh, why? That's right. He's got them on the bracelet. Why not me? Why not you, Francis? Uh, what do you got? Um, I have Sabalenka. Should we not be talking about her more? Top 10 player, been to the Wimbledon semifinals about uh, 15 months ago. Sabalenka to take down Pliskova. That's, that's Take it a, to the bank. That's a tough one, man. I'm going with Al, I'm going with Sinner taking out Alcaraz. I think it was too much of a late night for the young Spaniard the other Ooh. night. Sinner. Six a.m. Yeah. sleeping probably. Sinner's beaten him two out of three times. Watch out for Yannick Sinner. 
Chanda, who was your who were you gonna go with that you couldn't yeah, exactly. go with? Exactly. I, I was know. going I was going with Sabalinka. Oh really? Oh, wow. Once look at again, you guys. I would have given that to me. you. Well, look at the uh, head. Look at the records. We need all the help we can get here. You guys are uh, we're getting dominating us. Dominated. Paul, you had your, your winning streak snapped. It, it got snapped. It got snapped. But I'm gonna get it back. Uh, gonna get it back tonight. I'm gonna get back to four out of four Paul, out of nine. I think. I will say Paul should get like a point five because he picked Sviantek, I think, or, or Jabur. I think he should uh, get a point five for that. I should. Yeah. I yeah. Should. Right. We can go half points. Come on, give me a baseball standing. Huska, give me a three point five at least. Come on. We don't, guaranteed <laughs> lock at this stage of a tournament. People were riding five match history. Hard to pick guaranteed Tough. winners Tough. when you're in the quarters and semis. But uh, Chanda, you win. Congrats. You've, well done. Uh, insurmountable. Ruben Bouchard. Picked. Now there's a doubles team we need to get on like a celebrity court. Exactly. Yeah. That'd be that, that would be a good time. Anytime. <laughs> TC Live turns into a post-game show this weekend. Saturday and Sunday, one hour show fun following the finals and coming up next of course the premiere of academy live featuring img chanda have a great day calling matches today john safe travels to new york where you, you are being honored at the legends ball hall of fame legends you. ball Very thanks kind. to our team Very kind. thanks to our team thanks right. to our team great week Absolutely. you guys awesome team paul it's just you and me on saturday Go big or go home. Yeah, right. staying with it. All right, and thanks, me. everybody. And me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but you're going to be here. there. Right. I'm staying here. Are you coming? Yeah, but I'm with you. Oh. You are. Chanda's no, with you. <laughs> and me. Don't forget about Chanda. <laughs> love it. I love it. Chanda changed positions, by the way, just like Paul and I changed suits earlier in the show. <laughs>